Psalm 19, 7 through 11. The law of the Lord is perfect, reviving the soul. The, testimo the testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The precepts of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The rules of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, even much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and drippings of the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is your servant warned, and keeping them there is great reward. Let's pray together. Oh, Heavenly Father, we rejoice with those words and agree with how valuable your word is. And Lord, we thank you this morning. Uh, when we think about all the things we have to praise you for, uh, we come up with a limited list only because we don't notice everything, but we confess and we know that you are involved so much. Lord, help us to think anew about the little things in life, about the great things as well, but help us to notice your work in and around us today. I pray that you would guide us in this thought process as we see you as our loving Heavenly Father who cares deeply for us here on earth. And we pray these things in your holy name. Amen. Well, thank you, Catherine, for reading that. If y'all didn't know, Catherine is a junior marshal this year, and uh, we started a new tradition this year to uh, give them a little bit more uh, responsibility in the service, and we wanted to have her read an appropriate scripture. So thank you for doing that. Uh, we're proud of all our graduates today. For those of you who are visiting with us, this is a special day. We're here to honor our graduates. We have graduates from uh, many different schools, from high school, and uh, it's going to be a special service. And to start things off, Peggy and Leslie Phipps have prepared a slideshow with lots of uh, senior memories uh, for these seniors. They're going to be pictures from, from birth to where they are now, so enjoy. If you need any blacksmithing, you know where to go now. <laughs> wow, what a beautiful reminder of these lives. Somebody has said that history is his story. And he has made you a part of his story, graduates. And I love that um, quote by... Tim Tebow, that he was kind of adapting from a song that we don't know what the future holds, but we know who holds the future. And we're going to sing a song that reminds us of that and dedicate it to our graduates. It's number 568, God of the Ages. And the song reminds us that we're worshiping this morning the Lord of the past, the Lord of today, the Lord of tomorrow and the one who plans the pathway of his people. Let's sing it together. Number 568, stand with us, please.
Amen. Wake Chapel Church, in many ways, is a sending church. The Lord has blessed us with a large missionary family that we support on a regular basis, and they are sent to different parts of the world. But Wake Chapel also, we send our own out every now and then, and just wanted to let our church family know that early this morning, Matt and Rachel Dickens got on a plane for the Dominican Republic. And a few weeks back, we uh, collected some money to help the seminary there uh, build an audiovisual system. And Matt is going down to uh, build that, put it together, and do some training with the folks there in that. They will be there all week. Rachel will be there assisting, and they will be staying with James, Lauren, and Michael, and Caroline Peavy while they're down there. Also today, we are sending Maggie Wilkins. I don't know if she has already had to slip out. They were leaving. Is she still here? Just left. But uh, Maggie will be working for around eight weeks at Teen Valley Ranch and will be a counselor in training, will be helping in the kitchen and doing other chores up there. She did it last summer. And so let's pray for Maggie as she will be on that mission trip as well. Next Saturday, we have a group of 12 that will be leaving for Jamaica to go down to the Caribbean Christian Center for the Deaf. We'll be helping with some construction, and we'll be spending some time with the uh, students who are on the campus there. Uh, So keep us in your prayers for that trip as well. The Lord has been so good to us, so we are sending folks out. Let's pray for them as they go, and let's thank the Lord for the offering this morning. Would you pray with me? Father, we thank you that we can come to you today. Father, we are grateful to you for your faithfulness. Father, we thank you for Ross and Louise who have been away this weekend helping with a wedding in Baltimore. And we pray that you would give them safety as they travel back this afternoon. We pray, Father, you would bless and strengthen and use Matt and Rachel as they labor in the Dominican Republic We pray your blessing upon Maggie as she goes and serves at TVR. Thank you, Father, for the privilege to give and to share in your sending work. And, Father, for that which is given today, we pray that you would take it and bless it and use it for the furtherance of the gospel. In Jesus' name we pray. Amen.
Amen. You may be seated, please. And we're going to sing a chorus called, Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. And those are the words for the, for the chorus. We're going to sing through it four times. In just a moment, our graduates are going to be receiving a copy of that scripture, that word from God. And let's remind them as we remind ourselves of the absolute necessity of God's Word in our lives, a lamp unto our feet and a light to our path. As we sing, our young folks who are two and three years old and pre-K kindergarten students will go to their time of worship together. Would you sing it with us? Thy Word, we'll sing it four times. failed to mention earlier, and I wanted to mention a few things. David, thank you for mentioning Matt and Rachel and the, for ways we should be praying. But on the back of your worship folder, there's a lot of ways that we can be active and involved in our community and through our church. Um, if you look at those announcements on the back, just to highlight a few exam uh, encouragement week is coming up. And if you'd like to uh, help out with that, it's a wonderful ministry to pass out snacks and uh, water bottles to the students as as they cross the street and go over to Fuquay High School for exams. Um, uh, you can uh, you would you would be welcome to join us there. Um, the party is tonight. This is an exciting night. Uh, not only as we honor the graduates tonight, but also we're going to be welcoming in the rising sixth graders and ninth graders. It's a wonderful night. Um, that's for for everybody, middle schoolers. High schoolers, parents, youth leaders, ESPN uh, team members, everybody's invited to that. And then also at the bottom, there's opportunities where you can serve and help out with uh, VBS preparation. There's some dates listed below there. Um, and now it is my privilege. And there, there's other items in your bulletin. I'll, I'll, I'll let you read on your own. But uh, I'm just excited because now I get to pass out Bibles, the most treasured gift of all time to these wonderful graduates. Um, you know, I was, at a, I was at a college graduation this year, and it was, it was interesting. You, you know, you'd see them, they'd call them up one at a time, all hundred, you know, hundreds of them, call them up by name, and, and they'd, the, the dean of the school would shake their hand and hand them the scroll, you know, with the ribbon on them and everything. And then after the ceremony, I was outside, and I saw one was dropped on the floor, you know, on the ground, out, outside in the grounds. And I was like, oh, I wonder if it belongs to somebody. So I, I opened it up and looked to see whose name was on it. And it was just a blank sheet of paper. 
<laughs> not, not even like a congratulations, you did a great job. Not even a free coupon for a Wendy's Frosty or anything. It was just a blank sheet of paper. Well, we are not giving you anything that's blank or worthless or just for show. We are giving you something that's more valuable than, uh, than gold or silver or, or anything. Um, you know, this, this Bible that we're about to pass out to you is not just some book of morals or philosophical mush or good teachings or, or, or anything like that. It is God's holy word that has been preserved and passed down from generation to generation. And it is the foundation from which we hope, and we know you as well too, will build uh, your life upon, make all your decisions, find peace, find direction, and satisfaction in life. So, without further ado, Amanda Holloman, would you please come up? Caroline Johnson. Y'all can feel free to like applause and you know, yay, woo! Tori Pierce. Daniel Zeke. Hannah Stout. I'm going to move over to this one now. Mind if I give you the same thing? I won't close it. Oh, yeah, maybe. All right. You know, in your in your bulletin as well, in your worship folder on the middle section, it tells you where our students are. Uh, going after after college, and I find it interesting. Two years in a row, we're sending one to the state of Alabama. So Amanda's going to University of Alabama, Birmingham. So that is interesting. You just love to travel, right? <laughs> what an exciting day. Oh, my goodness. I'm standing here in front of you guys. We've prayed together. We've served together. Uh, man, it's been wonderful. And I get to uh, preach a sermon with you guys in mind. And with all of you in mind, this is not just directed to these five graduates and one junior marshal or just to the youth in the room. This is to everybody in the room. Um, if you want to take your Bible and open up, we're going to be reading 1 Corinthians chapter 1 later on in the sermon. But you can get ready for it now. You know, when I think about you guys, I think about what tireless effort uh, for the graduates to get to the point where you are today. Uh, When I think about um, all the memories that I've had with each one of you watching the video and the slideshow, some of those I was there for and some and a lot I was not. But I didn't know we had two horseback riders in the group. (laughs) Interesting. I'm learning a lot about these graduates. But we've had a, a wonderful time. Uh, together. I've been your youth pastor as long as you've been in the youth ministry here, and it's wonderful. You know, I love working with young people. It's a privilege and it's an honor, and you know, I'm in good company when it comes to that as well. Um, uh, when you look at scripture, you will find, let me see if I know how to work this thing. 
Yes. All right. Okay. When you look at Scripture, uh, you'll see that Jesus, too, uh, loved working with young people. In fact, um, it's quite possible that the disciples, most of the disciples, when they began to follow Jesus in his ministry, were teenagers. When you look at Matthew 17, 24 through 27, this is a wonderful story where Jesus and the disciples are all present and they're going to the temple and they're going to pay the temple tax. Um, but only Jesus and Peter pay this tax. It's a wonderful story where Jesus tells Peter uh, to go fishing and the first fish that comes up, first fish that he catches is going to have a coin in its mouth. It's going to be a, a shekel. And this coin is actually worth four drachma, which is the exact amount that was needed for uh, two people to pay the temple tax. So it was two drachma per person to come in there. So uh, when you compare this with Exodus thirty 14, you'll see that people only over the age of 20 were required to pay this temple tax. So when you look at that, you say, well, why didn't Jesus comp- uh, provide enough money out of this fish for all, all of the disciples? Well, one likely possibility is that uh, the other disciples weren't of age and they didn't need to pay this temple tax yet. It's a wonderful story when you think about it. Jesus uh, miraculously uh, provided for him and Peter here. Um, and if I'm reading that right, Jesus was a youth leader. And he only had one adult chaperone, a really small budget, and a really bad kid named Judas. So a lot of us in youth ministry can relate to that. But, but this might be a new point for some of y'all this might not be something you're willing to jump on board with the fact that maybe uh, the disciples early on were less than 20 years old for me it was an exciting point when I began studying and founding uh, and learning about it um, but take this for example if you still aren't you know on board with that in Matthew eleven twenty-five, Luke ten twenty-one, and John thirteen thirty-three, Jesus calls his disciples little children or little ones in that section, which seems kind of odd to be talking to a grown man with a beard, calling them little ones. Now, it could have been because of their faith. They had a childlike faith, and that could have been the reference. And I do believe they had a childlike faith. You've got to have a childlike faith to follow after Jesus. But also, when you look at uh, the records, Peter was on, the only disciple out of all the disciples who was uh, recorded as being married. All the other ones were not recorded as such. So uh, why is this special? Well, Ancient Jewish tradition held that it was highly recommended by the age of 18, uh, you should get married. And if you waited till after you were 20, that was really looked down upon at that point. So uh, these are clues with, which point me to the direction of, you know, maybe these teenagers were, weren't as old and bearded as they appear in all these movies that, that we watch, you know. Um, but my point is this. A youthful discipleship doesn't change the truth of the gospel. It simply adds a different sound to its music. And when I'm speaking about music here, I'm speaking figuratively. I'm speaking about the music, the sound, the feeling, the emotion of the gospel. And when we consider that God calls young people as ambassadors, as his messengers, as his servants and co-laborers in the ministry, it opens up a world of notes, figuratively speaking, that we have never heard before. Just imagine the breaking and shattering the walls or the limits that we put on discipleship. Uh, we've seen in Wake Chapel already young people serving and, and sharing testimonies 
and uh, leading in church uh, uh, services as well. And we know that this is possible, and we know that it's a good and healthy thing for the church. Here's, here's other um, b- biblical evidence where young age is no excuse not to serve God. First of all, Jeremiah 1, 5 through 8 um, and I'm going to read this for you because I think it's awesome. Jeremiah 1, 5 through 8. There's a doubt here. Jeremiah is, uh, or God is talking to Jeremiah. And the word of the Lord came to me saying, Before I formed you in the, in the womb, I knew you. And before you were born, I consecrated you. I appointed you a prophet to the nations. And then I said, Ah, oh, Lord God, behold, I do not know how to speak for I am only a youth. But the Lord said to me, Do not say I am only a youth, for to all whom I send you, you shall go, and whatever I command you, you shall speak. Do not be afraid of them, for I am there, I am with you to deliver you, declares the the Lord. What a wonderful verse. Jeremiah's doubt was, I do not know how to speak, I'm only a youth, which I can relate to. I'm not the most eloquent as well and God's response oh remember this young people of the room remember this do not say because I am young I cannot that was God's response fill in the blank there don't say because I'm young I cannot Uh, you know Jeremiah uh, what was the result of this Jeremiah was faithful and he was obedient to God's call and he relied on God and Jeremiah was to speak to the people of Jerusalem and hammer home a message that the nation's fall was not due to any lack on God's part, but was due entirely to their unfaithfulness, specifically listening to false prophets. And young people, uh, likewise, this is your call to, to hammer home to our culture uh, that they need to stop wasting their time submitting to authority other than God's. Um, We live in a world where God's voice has been muffled by uh, media, by self-centered philosophies. And quite frankly, uh, this message has to be given by you because you are the only one that they will listen to on this uh, in some circles. As we continue on, 1 Samuel 2.18 says that Samuel was ministering to the Lord as a boy. If you look at this story, that was the actual quote in the scripture. As a boy, Samuel was uh, born. uh, His mom prayed for Samuel. She she wanted a son, and the Lord gave her a son, and he and she dedicated him to serve in the in the uh, temple. So early on, Samuel was ministering to the Lord as the boy. As you continue on in Samuel verse uh, chapter sixteen, verse six through thirteen, when it came time for Samuel to anoint the next king over Israel. Uh, the Lord uh, sent him to go to Jesse and said, you will find the right king, my next appointed king over Israel in Jesse's household. And so and just imagine this story. Some of you have heard it before, but so Jesse's got sons. He's got seven sons, and he lines them all up, and he's like, okay, um, Samuel, which one's it going to be? And Jesse, first one he picks out is his firstborn son, his oldest son. You all know the pride if you're a father or mother of a son. If you're firstborn, you got, you got pride for that firstborn. And this is the one that they, they first bring out. Jesse presents him in front of Samuel, and God tells Samuel, nope, that's not the one. 
And Jesse's like, okay, well, here's my tallest son. Take a look at my tallest son. You know, I mean, how about this one? And God looks at, God tells Samuel, nope, that's not the one. And one by one, God tells Samuel no to each of these sons. And Samuel says, Jesse, the Lord told me that one of your sons, uh, I'm going to find the, the next leader over Israel here. Do you have any more sons? And Jesse hesitantly says, well, you know, there's that one, you know, David. He's, but, I mean, he's just the youngest. He's just the shepherd boy. I mean, really? And Samuel says, we are not going anywhere until Samuel comes here. And they stay and they wait. And, and David comes up. And when David comes in front of Samuel, the Lord said, this is my chosen one. Now, you've got to remember, David was just the shepherd boy. He was the youngest. He was not uh, the favorite of the family, right? But this was the one that God chose. <clears throat> Take a look at that, Samuel. What did he do? A chapter later, 1 Samuel 17, David defeated the nine-foot-tall Goliath, right, with just a stone and a sling, right? And in his, in his young age, he did this. It was not when he became older and stronger and, and whatever. This was in his young age. In verse 33, Saul said to David, You are not able to go against this Philistine to fight with him, for you are but a youth. David's perspective was totally different than Saul's here. Listen to what David said to Goliath in the heat of battle. I love this. This is just like, this is just like a pump-up speech if there ever was for a sporting event. But David said to Goliath, he said, You come at me with a sword and a spear and with a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts, the God of armies of Israel, with whom you have defied. Where was David putting his trust in his own equipment. No, he shed the armor. He didn't want the armor. He didn't want the sword. He was putting his trust in God. He knew he, who he was defending and who, he knew he, who had his back. David put his trust in the Lord, as should we. Later on, if you want more examples why young age is no excuse not to serve, look at Daniel chapter 1, and it says, Daniel, Shadrach, Meshach, and Abednego were youths. Genesis 37, 2. Uh, talks about Joseph. Joseph was 17 years old. Do y'all remember the story of Joseph? How his, uh, how his family, he was a favorite of his father, but despised by his brothers, and his family sold him into slavery, and they led him away into a foreign country. Imagine if that happened to one of us today, how rejected and despised you would feel. Yet Dave, or, excuse me, yet Joseph remained faithful. Do you remember how he resisted Potiphar's wife, uh, his, her attempts to seduce uh, Joseph. That's pretty impressive for a 17-year-old who had every reason in the world to feel uh, hopeless, abandoned, and, with, and, uh, and unloved. Yet he was faithful and obeyed God. 1 Timothy 4.12, this is a familiar speech. Students, if you got your Bibles handy, that'd be one I'd underline in your Bible. But this one is where Paul is writing a letter to his... Uh, younger co-worker, Timothy, regarding his leadership in the church. And he said this, Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, conduct, love, faith, and purity. Timothy was to be a leader in the church and to not let his youth be a hindrance or, an, or a reason to quit. Josiah, uh, if you look in Second Chronicles 31 or 34, 1 through 3, you learn about Josiah, whose scripture said he was 
the noblest king to reign in the territory of Judah. And specifically, it says, There was no ruler of his caliber, neither before or after him, who sought the Lord with all his heart. Now, Josiah was just a boy of eight when he came into the throne. At the age of 16, he began to seek God. And then by the time he turned 20, he initiated a campaign to purge the the southern kingdom of its idolatry. This is all done by a young person. Interesting. Do all these examples say something about God's view of youth? Of course. It shows that he values them greatly. They are not unequipped. They are not yet ready. They are ready now. And there are other examples where God uses people despite their doubts in their own selves. If you look at uh, Judges, Judges chapter 6, um, uh, 12 through 15, Gideon, uh, he had doubts that his clan was the weakest and he was the least in his father's house. And what was the result? Because of Gideon's faith and obedience to God, Gideon led, led an army of 300 to defeat, to defeat an army of 135,000. You get that? 300 defeated 135,000. That would be like an upward kindergarten team beating the Cleveland Cavaliers tonight. (laughs) Right? So what's the application we can take from that? Is don't let the high probability of failure keep you from following God. Even when all odds are stacked against you, remember who is your God and who do you serve and who, where do you receive your power from? There's a verse in Scripture that says, What do we have that has not been given to us? Therefore, why should we even boast as if we are in charge or if we have done the great thing on our own? God is who gets the credit. Uh, continuing on, you look at Exodus 4. You all heard the story of Moses. Uh, Moses didn't think he was eloquent enough to be God's spokesman, but God repetitively reassured Moses with the most inspiring words ever. Now, graduates, what if I was to tell you that when you're going off to college, I'm sure y'all got, you know, a little bit of nervousness, a little bit of fears, what ifs, what's it going to be like, I don't know, you know, all this kind of stuff. What if I was to say, take the valedictorian of your school, and they would go with you, and they would be... uh, just there. Their whole job is to be your tutor, sit beside you in class, help you out with stuff. That'd be pretty reassuring, right? What if I was to give you like a personal bodyguard that would be there with you to keep you safe, you know, keep the bullies off of you, defend you when other people are teasing you? What if I was to say that you could take, uh, you know, the coolest person in your school that'll make you help, you know, adapt socially and everything? All these things would be really cool, wouldn't it? If you could have somebody to look out for you on those areas where, You're unsure of what the future holds. Well, God told Moses this, and it's the most inspiring words ever spoken. God said, but I will be with you. When Moses had doubts, God simply said, but I will be with you. That's better than any strong, smart, or, you know, funny human on earth. God will be with you where you're going next. Why? Because you have the Holy Spirit in you. God is with us, right? We should be confident in that. God is with us, and he will never leave us nor forsake us. What was the result of that? Well, Moses doubted. God built built his confidence up, and Moses obeyed and prayed to God. He was faithful, and he was God's choice 
to lead Israel to freedom from their captivity in Egypt. What's the point here? The point is when God calls you, he is more than able to do miraculous, a miraculous thing through you. And our success in ministry is less dependent on our abilities than it is on our obedience. So I look at this and I'm like, why is this God's continual pattern? I've given y'all plenty of examples where God uses the underdog to achieve greatness. And I don't know about you, but I feel like an underdog a lot in life in a lot of different areas. I think all of us can relate it, at least in one area there. I mean, some of y'all might be, you know, awesome (laughs) at a lot of things, but we're all underdogs in one area, am I right? And God uses that. Why? Because that's not the way we work today. We don't work that way. I mean, companies, they hire the the applicant with the best resume and the most experience. Athletic uh, teams, they'll draft a player that has the greatest skill set. We personally, we befriend people who we think will build us up and make us feel better about ourselves. Um, But God is different. You know, we choose the strong, the smart, the wise, the beautiful, that's where we put our trust. God is, God is different. Let's read this together. This is the scripture that you looked up in your Bible already. 1 Corinthians 1, 25 through 31. I'll read it aloud. For the foolishness of God is wiser than men, and the weakness of God is stronger than men. For consider your calling, brothers. Not many of you were wise according to worldly standards. Not many were powerful. Not many were of noble birth. But God chose what is foolish in the world to shame the wise. God chose what is weak in the world to shame the strong. God chose what is low and despised in the world, even the things that are not, to bring to nothing things that are, so that no human being might boast in the presence of God. And because of him, you are in Christ Jesus, who became to us, I love that word, who became to us wisdom, from God, righteousness and sanctification and redemption, so that as it is written, let the one who boasts, boast in the Lord. The foolishness of God is wiser than men. The weakness of God is stronger than men. God chose what is low and despised in the world. What are all these saying? These are saying that God gets the credit. God deserves the attention. He should get the appreciation. Since the beginning of time, God has been desperately trying to convince this arrogant and selfish world that he alone is where we find satisfaction in life and he alone is where we find purpose in life. If you read through the Bible, you will find uh, this continuing pattern all throughout the Bible. First of all, God loves people. That's the way it happened in the beginning over and over again. God loves people. And then what happens after that? People love him. What's not to love? God is love. They love him, though they obey him, and life is good. But then time goes by, and people either forget or neglect God. And they, they might enjoy life for a little bit, but they forget that God was the only reason that it became enjoyable in the first place. And then what happens is that godly leadership is lacking. And that people start worshiping other things other than God, whether it be themselves, a thing, or some other fake God that they make up. And so we have this cycle where it goes, and they start going away from God. But then God, being the merciful God that he is, 
he proves to himself that he is merciful and he sends in new leadership that redirects people back to him, back into that good life with himself. And then life is good again. God loves, people turn away. God loves, people turn away. God loves, people turn away. This is the God we serve. This is the merciful and gracious God that I am attracted to and that I hope everybody in this room is attracted to as well. Um, This happens over and over again throughout the Bible and it happens in our lives today too, in our world. You can see it happening. Just look outside your window, look on your screen, look in your own personal life and do you not see this cycle in yourself? If you doubt that God is the source of ultimate satisfaction, know this, there is nothing more that God needs to do to prove to you this than what he has already done. The history of love has been recorded, his history of love has been recorded in the Bible over and over again, and we have no excuse not to believe and trust in him. The greatest act of love of all time was displayed when Jesus Jesus willingly obeyed his Father and suffered an unfathomable death that we all deserve. In John 14, uh, 4, 14, Jesus talks about where he we should get our satisfaction from and he says but whoever drinks of the water that I will give him will never be thirsty again the water that I give him will become in him a spring of water welling up to eternal life you think you don't need God think again you think you'll just be fine on your own see where that gets you you think this this world's ever-changing philosophies is more dependable than God's unchanging holy word nope you think sin really isn't that big a deal so did adam and eve see where that got us you think god is withholding pleasures from you with all these rules that are in the bible no he's not withholding anything from you he's just keeping you from disappointment Any pleasure we find outside of God will ultimately lead to regret and disappointment. God offers the only everlasting gobstopper, and that's his eternal satisfaction. That was a little Willy Wonka quote for those of you who got that. I think, Ben, you got that in the back. (laughs) Here's a a quote for you, and this comes from the book that I got each of you students. Why would a good God give you what you always asked for, what you always wanted, if what you've always wanted is not him. He is good. He knows what will bring satisfaction, and that is himself. It is not all these uh, fleeting pleasures that we think will satisfy us. The main point, the point is that God is most glorified in us when we are most satisfied in him. That comes from uh, book called Desiring God from John Piper. And it's an amazing point, too. In closing, remember this. Your young age is more of an advantage than a disadvantage when it comes to serving the Lord. Why? Because consider the way he works. Consider why he works this way. It's so that he gets the glory. So, with that said, there's no need to put it off. There's no need to delay your serving God do it now do it now be a leader now next point success in ministry is less dependent on our abilities than it is on our obedience consider that 
giants fall to stones and slings. Consider that a baby was born in a manger. Consider the faith the size of a mustard seed. Consider your calling. Or in the great words, or in the words of our former president, George W. Bush, to those of you who are graduating with high honors, awards, and distinctions, I say well done. And to those of you who are C students, you too can be president of the United States of America. <laughs> Point number three, you can't really read it, but it says this, we find our source of ultimate satisfaction in God and nowhere else. Remember these points. Uh, use your Bible. We pray that it will be uh, bedrock to your life, to your faith and understanding. As we close, I want to close in prayer, but I want to do it in a different way versus me praying out loud. I want to give you the opportunity to reflect on what God has put on your heart today. And I want to just lead you in a way of prayer using the ACTS model. I don't know if you've ever used this prayer model before, but it's kind of like an acronym for A would be adore. So start off your prayer adoring God. C would be confessing. T would be thanking God for things. And S would be supplication, praying on behalf of others. So I want us to, I want us all to just close our eyes right now as I lead you to pray silently where you are. I want you to consider the God that same God who made the universe is the same God who intimately knows and loves you. Simply tell him how you feel about him. What do you need to confess or surrender to God? Now thank God for one specific thing that he has done for you lately. Pray for two people around you. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. My hope is built on nothing less than Jesus' blood and righteousness. I dare not trust the sweetest frame, but wholly lean on Jesus' name. Let's sing that together. It's number 404 in our hymnal. We'll sing all four verses. Amen. We want to give you an opportunity to greet and congratulate our graduates. Uh, Miles Satterfield is going to come and lead us in prayer. He's our deacon for this day. And after Miles prays, we're going to have a recessional and give our graduates a time to, uh, to go out front there so folks can speak with you before you uh, scatter. And again, congratulations. May the Lord bless you, keep you, and direct your path. Miles, would you lead us, please? Would you bow your heads with me, please? Father, thank you once again for another great time in your house today. It is a special day as we honor our graduates and congratulate them for the accomplishments that they have made and for the accomplishments that they will make. We ask that you guide and direct them as they start a new chapter in their life. Help them to achieve their dreams and their goals. But most of all and foremost, help them to put you in the center of their lives as they make that journey and focus on you. And Father, help all of us to focus on you. And thank you for the promise of an eternal heavenly home. Second Corinthians 4.18 states, So we fix our eyes not on what is seen, 
but what is unseen. For what is seen is temporary, but what is unseen is eternal. Help us to keep that focus on that eternal home. And Father, we want to lift up the names in the bulletin that are sick. Uh, those who have recently lost loved ones, we just pray for healness and comfort for each one of those individuals and their families. And we lift up to you also the mission of the week, Dallas Theological Seminary, uh, student aid. And we just thank you for what they do in training and equipping pastors and missionaries and educators and church planners and leaders of parachurch organizations. We just pray that you will provide them with their needs and uh, be able to continue this important uh, program. Father, go with each of us as we leave this house. Uh, as has been mentioned this morning, not to boast in ourselves, but boast in the name of the Lord. Guide and direct us through the coming days until we meet again. We ask in Christ Jesus' name. Amen.